Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms, so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Well, today we'll be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'll be reading in the New International Version as usual. So let's jump right in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm reading verses 1 through 3. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I will write about the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. For I must correct your understandings about them. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know how to discern what is truly from God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can curse Jesus, and no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So although they were endowed with these gifts, the first Corinthians were, or, or the uh, Corinthian church was endowed by these gifts. Many of the uh, Corinthian saints were, even though they were, were immature, they were ignorant about the proper use of the gifts in the church, especially the gift of tongue, the gifts of tongues and prophecy. So Paul uh, wrote this chapter uh, to provide, he actually wrote chapter 14, we'll get there shortly, and, and he goes into great detail on how to use the gifts of utterance in the church. Uh, here he is talking about the abuse of the gifts as we go into chapter 12 here. So, uh, but in chapter 14, you may want to go ahead and read that ahead. Uh, he goes into great details about the proper use of the gifts of utterance in the church. Now, the first order of business for Paul was to draw a clear distinction uh, uh, between gifts given by the Holy Spirit and the activity of demonic spirits. The Corinthian saints had formerly worshipped dumb or speechless idols, as Paul called them. The, uh, the worship of these idols included demonic activities such as ecstatic speech and channeling and, and possession and fortune-telling and psychic phenomena and dabbling with in, in the occult, occult-related practices. So some people who were demon-possessed had the power to, to tell fortunes. Um, however, it's likely that the demon spirits that were behind the idols were invisibly working behind the scenes and uh, causing the very things that they predicted. You can uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 19 through 21 to get a little detail. Now in Acts chapter 16, uh, around verses 16 through 18, uh, there's an account of a, of a slave girl who was demon-possessed, and she brought her masters um, a, a lot of money by telling fortunes. She could probably, uh, to some degree, predict future events. But the thing about demonic spirits is that they can go uh, go around and, and, and create circumstances and the situation, some of the situations that they predict. So they're very manipulative. 
Um, Paul cast the demon spirit out of this girl. And when the demon left, her power to predict the future or just tell fortunes left also. And certainly Paul got a, a good beating and he was thrown in jail. This was in uh, the, in the uh, city of Philippi. He was thrown in jail for casting out that demon spirit. Now the Corinthians um, had trouble distinguishing between the true teachings from God and the deception from Satan. Paul wanted them to understand that the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy, which were or given and administered by the Holy Spirit, were not the same as the demon-inspired messages that they had sometimes heard in their dealing with the uh, with idol worship. Now, those who were followers of Satan and 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 some of the Jewish false prophets who were infiltrating the church uh, were who were against Christ would sometimes masquerade as ministers of the gospel. <clears throat> and uh, uh, sometimes they would even say Jesus is a curse. Now, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul made this very clear. He wrote, these people are false apostles. They have uh, fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder his servants can also do it by pretending to be godly ministers. In the end, they will get every bit of punishment their wicked deeds deserve. That's 2 Corinthians 11 and 13 through 15. These false teachers and prophets would claim to be speaking by the Holy Spirit and make false and, mis and misleading uh, statements while supposedly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They were even, uh, there were even some of them who, who claimed to be speaking by the Holy Spirit and were, or would pronounce curses upon the Lord Jesus. But Paul had to set uh, uh, the thinking of these Corinthian saints straight on this matter. Um, if anyone pronounced a curse upon Jesus, of course they were a false prophet and, and nothing else they had to say could be taken uh, as words from God. They were lying prophets and, and should be completely ignored. On the other hand, Paul declared that no one could, uh, could truly say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that, that everyone who mouths the word Jesus is Lord has submitted to his lordship or, or submitted to the will of the Spirit. However, those who make this declaration from the heart can only be making it by the unction or the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, the fact that the gifts were being misused does not justify rejecting them or banning them from the church, as some people have done. Some people are saying that the gifts pass away. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that, and there's nothing in history that indicates that. Um, this might be the, the easy way out to, to, to ban prophecy and to ban tongues from the church, but the church would forfeit something very valuable that God intended for it to have. Now, God does not authorize his ministers to ban what he has authorized. So Paul understood better than anyone else the trouble that spiritual gifts could cause when they were misused in the church. Yet he did not authorize censuring them. He wisely established some strict guidelines 
and set some strict boundaries for the use of the gifts in the church. And again, that's in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Now, verses 4 through 6, I'm reading. Now, there are many different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord uh, we are serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. In these three verses, Paul stressed the diversity of the gifts and their operation in the church, while also stressing the fact that all the gifts originate from one source, God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, of course, these three are one. Uh, so the, the uh, gifts are operated by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God of diversity. He manifests and expresses himself in many, many ways. And in, uh, and in and through his people, he does it in different ways. So there are uh, diversities in the gifts, but there are also, uh, they are all, uh, dispensed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wanted to make that clear, that though there are all these different gifts, all these different gifts don't do not come from different sources. There are all these different gifts that God has given to the body of Christ, but all the gifts are operated through the same one Holy Spirit. There is diversity in the services rendered, Paul said, through these gifts to the church, but they again originate from the same Lord Jesus Christ. There is diversity in the way the gifts operate from one individual to another. But the same God is at work within each Christian believer. God works in our lives using these gifts for the benefit of the church. Now I'm reading verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. This is a key statement. God gives each Christian at least one spiritual gift to use to help the rest of the church. We should not misinterpret any gift as a mark of spirituality. Just because a person has a gift of the spirit does not mean that that person is spiritually mature because of Paul is writing to the Corinthians because of their lack of maturity, even though they had the gifts operating in the church, they were abusing them and misusing them. So it's important to keep in mind that the purpose of any spiritual gift is to serve the entire church. Any other use of the gift is a misuse and an abuse. Paul listed nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in this chapter, uh, but this doesn't include all of the spiritual gifts. Paul is only providing a list of examples from a variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit provides in the church for for, uh, the benefit and well-being of the people of God. Now I'm reading verse 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, he gives the gift of special knowledge. The ability to give uh, wise advice is called the word of wisdom. In the King James, a word of wisdom. This suggests words, uh, words of wisdom about Christ and his work on the cross, and related issues, as well as words that will um, serve the the good of the entire church. The person with the gift of 
of the of wisdom or the word of wisdom has the supernatural ability to give wise counsel or advice. Peter uttered words of wisdom when he advised the saints to settle the accusation of discrimination in the church early on. There was this accusation that the the uh, the uh, Hellenist Jews, the, the Greek Jews, were uh, were being discriminated by the Hebrew Jews. Um, um, their widows were being discriminated, and so uh, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, gave a word of wisdom: uh, uh, choose seven men to oversee this work. Men of honest repute. That was wisdom from God. And so uh, out of that word of wisdom that Peter gave came the uh, the deacons. Uh, first seven deacons were selected to ad- ad- administer the work and the church continued to grow. Uh, so uh, the word of wisdom is the uh, gift that gives people the gift of wise counsel and words uh, of wisdom. Joseph uttered words of wisdom when um, when he told uh, Pharaoh about the coming uh, famine that was going to hit the land, and then he told him what to do in order to save many lives. Um, Paul also mentioned the word of knowledge here. Um, that's another gift of the Spirit, which resper- re- refers to supernatural knowledge. This is knowledge beyond that acquired by natural means. You don't get this by studying uh, anything. It's a gift that God gives where God gives you a knowing about something uh, that you wouldn't know by normal means. It could involve knowledge and special insight into the word of God. It could also uh, encompass knowledge and awareness of certain hidden facts. Peter operated in this gift when uh, he knew that uh, Ananias and Sapphira were lying. They sold a plot of land and they came back and said, this is all we got for it. And we're giving all this to the church. Well, nobody told Peter. Uh, the Holy Spirit let him know, gave him knowledge that these two were lying, that they were holding back part of the price for, uh, for the land that they sold. And they, they were pretending to give it all. And, and, uh, when Peter, uh, made them aware of the fact that they were lying. They both uh, fell down dead, one and then later the other. That's That information is in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is such a, the word of knowledge is such a powerful gift uh, that there is great potential for uh, misuse and abuse uh, of this gift, which could threaten to do harm to the church as well as the person wielding the gift. Such a gift in the and the wrong hands could be used to manipulate and exploit people, uh, God's people. And any of the gifts um, uh, can be misused and uh, and abused. And, and and this is possibly why God seems to have restricted uh, these gifts in the church. Um, uh, it only seems to manifest occasionally in people here and there, but, but uh, no one excesses this kind of supernatural power at will. Uh, we read about the prophets like the prophet Elijah who who was able to see things and to know things. And we just assume that they had this, this uh, gift operating them all, at all the time in their lives that they were continu- ten- continuously aware of these things. But um, it operated at the behest of the Lord. Sometimes God would give special knowledge 
Sometimes they wouldn't know. So uh, it was God's doing. Now, <clears throat> Paul received many revelations from the Lord, um, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, and, and Paul welded great power and great authority in the church. And for his own safety, God allowed Satan to torment him in, in a way which is not revealed to us. He just says there was given to him a thorn in the, in the flesh to uh, keep him from, from becoming exalted uh, above measure. And uh, he mentioned that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll read it. Uh, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is <clears throat> made perfect in weakness. Again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. So to keep his feet on the ground, uh, God had to expose Paul to certain limitations and weaknesses uh, or he would have been in danger of being destroyed by his, by his own pride. Uh, the more typical manifestation of the gift of the word of wisdom and knowledge can be seen in the revelation give, that God gives to Bible preachers and teachers who are required to have a full understanding of the word of God. Although they are required to uh, study God's word like any other Christian, God provides them with a clearer knowledge and, and uh, understanding of his word. These are men and women with uh, supernatural understanding into God's word and ways. Uh, and, and they have ways of, of explaining those uh, uh, to the people using those gifts. That this, is, this is a common occurrence. They make uh, complex things simple. And so teachers and preachers use this gift. Uh, sometimes without even being aware of it, sometimes they're, they're aware that, that God is giving them a special insight. Um, I know in my own life, I've read passages of scripture and didn't really, um, know what it means. And then suddenly the light came on. This is what this means. Okay. Very clear. All right. Now I'm reading verses nine through 10. The spirit gives special faith to another and to someone else. He gives the power to heal the sick. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and to another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to know whether it is really the spirit of God or another spirit that is speaking. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages and another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. So faith is the third gift on Paul's list. He says the Holy Spirit provides faith to certain Christians. The Holy Spirit does provide every Christian with faith for salvation. However, people with the gift of faith have the supernatural ability to believe God for specific things, even when it appears unlikely or impossible. Those with the gift of faith um, uh, go beyond the average believer. Now, it's important to understand that faith is not denying what exists but believing that through God's intervention, current realities and circumstances will change. Faith is not merely making a positive confession or thinking positive thoughts. Faith is simply believing God 
for something and expecting it to happen. Elijah believed it would rain and end a three-year, three-and-a-half-year three and drought. He prayed for rain, and he saw no results. But he kept praying, and he continued to expect a change. And, the, and uh, finally, the situation began to change. He saw a, a small cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 42 through 46. Fourth and fifth on Paul's list of gifts are the gifts to heal the sick. He mentions these. And the gift to perform miracles. The gifts of healing and the gift of miracles. Now when speaking of the gifts of healing, Paul uses the plural form of both words. Gifts of healings. This encompasses the many ways that the Holy Spirit may exercise healing. The working of miracles is not limited to miraculous healings, but is the broader working of the power of God through human agency. The, the New Testament is filled with miracles or signs and wonders that were performed by Jesus and the apostles. Now, after Jesus ascended to heaven, his apostles and some other disciples continued to work miracles. Many of these miracles involved healing but others did not. In addition to healings, people were raised from the dead. And that's in Acts chapter 9, 36 through 43 and 20 and 8 through 11. Okay. So um, it's important also to know that that uh, even though the apostles had this gift, uh, they sometimes they could heal people and sometimes they couldn't. They, they, didn't, they weren't like Jesus. Je Jesus healed every time. Um, uh, sometimes people died and, uh, and the apostles did not have the ability to, uh, to raise them. So, um, the gifts, even though they were given, uh, to the apostles and they're given throughout the church, uh, we just don't have full control over them. That's in the preview of God. Now, the gift of prophecy is number six on Paul's list. The gift of prophecy is the ability to supernaturally speak a message from God to the people of God by the Holy Spirit. There may be elements of prophecy in preaching and teaching, but prophecy goes beyond just preaching and sharing a message, which is uh, directly from God. Prophecy, when people prophesied in the Bible, there were times that they foretold future events. However, prophecy is not to be confused with the activity of psychics and palm readers and fortune tellers, this kind of activity is satanic in its origin and forbidden. Now, of course, prophecy doesn't always tell about future events. Um, God edifies and comforts people through words of prophecy. Um, before he allowed the Israelites to enter the land, God had promised them, God gave them the following warning. When you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your sons or daughters at burnt offering, and do not let your uh, people practice fortune-telling or sorcery or allow them to interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things isn't object of horror and disgust to the Lord. It is because of the other nations 
that the other nations have done these things, that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. That's in Deuteronomy 18, 19 through 12 in the New Living Translation. So God forbade these activities because they were demonically inspired uh, and associated with the worship of idols. The gift of prophecy is a supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit operating in the life of the gifted individual. Prophecy is not always predictive in nature. Paul explained that the primary purpose of the gift is to exhort, to urge, to encourage the assembly forward and doing the good, doing good and, 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 uh, building them up in the faith. That's first Corinthians. You can read that in first Corinthians chapter 14. The gift of prophecy is not given to exalt the person. Uh, it is given to minister to the church. Now, Paul commanded that when those who have the gift of prophecy are speaking one at a time, the others in the assembly should judge or wait carefully, uh, wait carefully what is being said. And we'll talk more about that when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Number seven on Paul's list of gifts is the gift of discerning of spirits. Today, there are many people saying many things and claiming to speak by the Holy Spirit. The gift of discerning of spirits was given to the church to alert the assembly when someone was speaking by a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. So they would um, be able to discern that this is not the Spirit of God, and then they would be able to judge that and deal with it. Now, while some people have the extraordinary gift to discern whether a message is from the Holy Spirit or a demonic spirit, uh, or the imaginations of the human spirit, all Christians should pray for and seek to have some kind of discernment. Now, number eight on Paul's list of gifts is the gift of different kinds of tongues or languages. Uh, this gift is the supernatural ability to speak other languages as the Spirit of God provides the utterance. In describing this gift, uh, Paul made it clear that the language is directed from the speaker to God and and not to other human ears. He said, uh, for if your gift is the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking to God, but not to people, since they won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. That's 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. But Paul went on to say, that the gift of tongues somehow edifies or builds up the person who is speaking, even though neither the speaker nor anyone uh, near um, uh, enough to hear can understand what is being said, unless, of course, they have the gift of interpretation of tongue. Paul also suggested that the gift of tongue could be used as a language with which to pray and uh, sing to God. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. Paul boasted that he spoke in tongues more than all of them, and yet he said, uh, in the assembly, I'd rather speak one word in a clear language that everybody can understand than, than 10,000 words in tongues. The interpretation of tongues is the ninth gift that Paul lists on the on uh, his list of, of gifts of the Spirit. person with the gift of interpretation of tongues has the ability to understand what has been spoken an unknown tongue, and to interpret the message in the language of the assembly. Paul explained that the gift of 
uh, uh, this gift of, of the interpretation of tongues is equal to the gift of prophecy because once the tongues are interpreted, the, con the congregation, the entire assembly is edified. Now, all these gifts demonstrate the loving care that Christ has for his church. He is concerned about the whole person, spirit, soul, and body, and has made provisions for the care and operation of the church through his divine word and by the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Now I'm reading verses 11 through 13. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the, the many parts make up only one body. So it, is, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we have all received the same spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who decides who uh, which gifts each Christian should have. The Holy Spirit is fully aware of which Christian will serve the body of Christ best with which particular gift that he, that he gives. The Holy Spirit is also aware of which Christian will be least effective serving with uh, a particular gift. Paul uses the human body as an illustration to convey the various gifts and how they are to be used to benefit the entire body. Although the parts of the the human body are diverse. They function in harmony with each other. If one part of the body begins to try to do um, uh, work it's designed not to do, rather than helping the body, it will actually uh, create a dysfunction in the body, discord in the body. Now I'm reading verses 14 through 18. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not, part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if your whole body were just one big ear, how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts and he has put each part just where he wants it. Now, some gifts are more visible and receive more uh, praise, more attention than the others. So the unfortunate tendency is for people to desire the more popular gifts and, uh, and not appreciate the gifts that are less popular. So Paul helps to correct this kind of thinking by using the diversity of the human body and, and conveying the value of each individual part. The body of Christ is made up of many different people with many uh, different gifts working together in concert under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's important to note that. Uh, it's important to remember that God did not make a, a mistake when he gave each member its gift. He knows exactly what he's doing and he knows what gift will, will best benefit the, the entire body. Now I'm reading verses 19 through 22. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. So again, Paul reminds 
us that every member of the body of Christ is important. Every gift in the body is important. Uh, they cannot carry out the same function. And if, if each part tried to carry out the same function, uh, we'd be like one big eye in the body. And if you had a body that everybody, uh, that the whole body, all it did was see, uh, think about all of the things that that body could not do, how, how it would limit itself. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. God placed the gifts in the body in such a way that they balance each other. Um, people who are the backbone of the church are often those who are rarely seen or heard. They work quietly behind the scenes, uh, executing important functions, um, um, not even sometimes being noticed. They carry out their function, and the less that they're noticed, the more efficient they are. Um, when I notice my heart beating, it's sometimes because it's beating out of sync. Um, as long as it's beating normally, I shouldn't even uh, be aware that it's there, but it's carrying out its function, pumping blood. That's the way it is in the body of Christ. We work seamlessly and together, and those parts of the body that may not be seen or may not be heard are, are very, very, very essential. Now I'm reading verses 23 through 26. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. All other parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. If other parts suffer, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. The uh, private parts of the body are the parts that we dress up carefully and we cover up. And this is God's way of balancing. The parts of the body are in, interdependent in order for the body to function correctly. Paul wants the saints to understand that God made us needy. We need each other and we rely upon each other. When we understand this, we will see the foolishness of working against each other and fighting each other. When one part of the body suffers, every other part suffers. If someone struck the tip of their toe with a hammer, the whole body would uh, be in distress. The whole body would bend down and the hands would reach for the toe and and began to caress it, the whole body would cooperate together to try to relieve the pain in that toe. And that's what Paul is trying to make us aware of, how dependent we are, how interrelated we are, how connected we are in the body of Christ. Now I'm reading verses 27 through 28. Now all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Here's a list of some of the members that God has placed in the body of Christ. First, an apostle. First, are apostles. Second, are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then, those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who uh, can get others to work together. Those who speak in unknown languages. So, Paul provides another list of ministry gifts that Paul that uh, God placed in the body to 
help it to grow and flourish. He adds four new gifts to the list. Apostles, teachers, helps, and administration. The first three gifts are the foundation building gifts. Okay, the gifts that build the foundation. These are people who who were gifted to lay the foundation of the church and, and to build upon that foundation. The uh, early apostles and prophets were instrumental in laying this foundation with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That's in Ephesians 2 and 20. Paul begins this list, list with the apostles. The list of apostles includes the 12, including Matthias, who replaced Judas, along with several others, including Paul and James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, that's found in Galatians 1.19. Barnabas was an apostle, Acts 14 and 14. Andronicus and Junius uh, were apostles, Romans 16 and 7. And Silas in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 6. These were apostles. Apostles do missionary work, preach and teach the word of God, plant new churches. Apostles also have the authority to serve as pastors and mentors to other pastors and church leaders. Uh, Paul also included prophets in the list of ministry gifts. Prophets are given special messages for the congregation from God. Although prophets are sometimes given messages to relate to the church about true events, Acts eleven twenty eight, or future events, uh, most often they speak words of comfort and encouragement and edification to the church. Paul mentions teachers. The job of the teacher is to carefully explain God's word to the people. Teachers have the gift of simplification and clarification. Um, uh, they're able to break things down to, to uh, make things clear and break them down into simple terms that help the listeners to understand and, and, and see how the message applies to their lives. Some pastors uh, also have the gift of teaching, Ephesians 4 and 11. Paul also mentioned the gift of miracles and healings, as mentioned earlier in the chapter. Uh, those who have this gift of miracles and healings are supernaturally endowed to do miraculous works and to heal by the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions the gift of helps. Um, those who have the gift of helps are those who are gifted to serve others. They have compassion for others and, and find great pleasure in the, in the work of service. The gift of helps is a broad and, and varied uh, gift, often expressing itself through the skills and the abilities accrued in the life of that believer possessing the gift. The gift is called helps because uh, helping others is exactly what this gift entails. Paul mentioned the gift of administration, which involves organizing, planning, guiding, and directing the various affairs and activities and ministries of the church or related church work. Uh, Paul ended the list of ministry gifts with the gift of tongues, uh, which was elaborated on earlier in this chapter. We talked about it. And this list is by no means exhaustive. It is, it is only a sampling of the many gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. Paul consistently emphasized the fact that the purpose of these gifts, these ministry gifts, is to prepare and equip God's people for the work of the ministry that they were assigned to, Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. Now I'm reading verses 29 and 30. 
Is everyone an apostle? Of course not. Is everyone a prophet? No. All teachers? Does anyone have the power to do, does, does everyone have the power to do miracles? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Of course not. Does God give all of us the ability to speak in unknown languages? Can anyone interpret unknown languages? No. So Paul asked the, 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 the question, if everybody, uh, of every person in Christ is endowed with the same gift. And uh, the answer, obvious answer is no. This question is designed to make a strong case for celebrating our diversity. Paul wants to emphasize diversity by, by saying this. A body with many uh, diverse parts is a body that is versatile. It can do many things. We are again reminded that if, if the parts of the body began to try to duplicate the same function, then they would limit the ability and the versatility of that body. Now I'm reading verse 31. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gifts. First, however, let me tell you about something else that is better than any of them. Now the focus for using the gifts is on seeking to provide the most and best service to the body of Christ. Paul continues this thought in the next chapter. He closes chapter 12 by telling us to seek the best gift. Earnestly seek the best gift, uh, the King James tells us. Um, but then he talks about a more excellent way. Paul closes chapter 12 by promising to tell us about something that is even better than the gifts. That thing is love. And he, he gives all of chapter 13 to teaching about this subject of love. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Next time, we will cover chapter 13. Friend, if you live in the Indianapolis area, I'd like to invite you to come visit us at New Direction Church, where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the pastor. Uh, he's the senior pastor there, the lead pastor, doing a great job. Our East Campus is located at uh, 5330 East 38th Street, and our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. For service times, visit our website at ndcbetterlife.org. Until next time, um, I pray that God will bless you, that you will continue to study the word and grow in him. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Thank you.